we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. A fifth national title for UConn. Another one in fairly dominant fashion over San Diego State as the Huskies have reclaimed their spot atop college basketball. This is a College Game Day Podcast and the Wee morning hours after the Huskies dispatched San Diego State 76-59. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and what amounts to an emergency, not an emergency, a celebratory, I guess, for UConn edition of the podcast. Um, Pete, this game, uh, San Diego State got close in the second half, but it never, it was never really a threat. UConn came out and took control of the game. Dan Hurley said at halftime, they should be up by 20. He was wrong. He should not have said that. They should have been up by 30. Um, you know, if they'd, they'd made a few layups, they probably would have been. Um, you know, they won every game by double figures. They won five games by 15 or more. Nobody's ever done that. It was uh, just a brilliant, dominant performance by a program that is back, as they like to say. Yeah, I mean, as far as basketball analysis goes, it's hard to really drill down too deep here, Reese. Uh, They were the better team. We knew they were the better team. They played much better. There was at least a dollop of drama, and I give San Diego State credit. They did follow the script. They had, you know, gone on all tournament. They they were down big to Alabama in the second half. I think it was nine. They were down seven to Creighton in the final minutes and, and came back. And obviously, they had the fifth biggest comeback in Final Four history against FAU the other day. Um, so they cut it to five, and there was like, oh, okay, this could actually happen. I mean, that would have been an all-time vulture if they came back and figured out a way. But I just, in my mind, I perked up in my seat, but I was not ever truly convinced that they could push it over the threshold. They just didn't hit shots. They didn't have good looks. Uh, Matt Bradley sort of reverted back to what he was earlier in the uh, earlier in the tournament, and they were just. Uh, they were they were a rugged team built to win a lot of games out in the Mountain West, and it carried them through the tournament. But I think they met their medal match. Yeah, it's uh, you know it, it, UConn, with the exception of that six of eight stretch in the middle of the season, uh, was a dominant team early. Started fourteen and zero, and I know they didn't win the Big East tournament, but they were a dominant team late as well. Uh, they won four of their championships in the state. of Texas, nobody has ever uh, won more championships in a single state than they have. They're the longest preseason shot to win the national championship, at least the longest since 2014, when the last time they won a championship being a long shot. They were 60 to 1 to open this season. And I think it's really, it's really fascinating because you've touched on some of this, Pete, uh, with some of the coverage of the media rights. They sort of they sort of rediscovered their identity by going back to the Big East. They, there are only a couple of programs that play big-time football or at least are involved, connected to big-time football, who can probably make their decisions based on basketball. And it's probably them and Duke, maybe. And you know, Duke has a fortune of being in the ACC. But the way the Big East is trending right now with the coaching changes, with Dan Hurley establishing himself now and, and getting a championship, which was a, a cool aspect of the story, um, you know, they could be 
they are, they are positioned right now to be a power, a contender the way they were um, most years in the, in the Calhoun heyday. Yeah, and I really think it's a, it's an interesting moment uh, for, for the Big East. If you look at they're in the 10th year of a 12-year deal with Fox, and I'm sure somebody could nitpick and find a game or two that Georgetown played that really mattered in this decade, but mm-hmm. in the regular season anyway. But it, you'd have to go back quite a ways and, and really, you know, really, really dig. And St. John's, um, at least Georgetown, sort of the end of John Thompson was like functional um, in, in some ways. Um, I mean, St. John's has been just pretty, uh, they, they, St. John's in a rut, um, a big rut. And both of those programs are instantly going to be better next year and beyond. So I think, and again, some Northeast bias here, I'm not going to lie, but I do think the rejuvenation of the I-95 corridor is going to, especially Patino and St. John's, and just what a character he is and a larger than life iconic, unbelievable coach. We've talked about that many times in this podcast. I think you and I are in alignment that we think he's the best coach of the modern generation. If you need one guy to win a game with your life on the line, um, I don't mm-hmm. think I'd hesitate to uh, pick Slick Rick. So the, uh, you know, the, the, the Big East moving forward is really interesting. It is a very hot product that's only going to get hotter next year. I mean, I hope they're smart enough to schedule UConn at St. John's to open, you know, Big East play on January, you know, 5th, somewhere in between that CFP break. Like, that would be a game that we'd all stop and watch, right? Because the Huskies are going to be very good again. It'll be interesting if Snogo comes back. And St. John's and have the Garden Electric. Uh, David Benedict had a good line when I talked to him yesterday about some of this going forward stuff. He said, he's the UConn athletic director. He said, as much as we enjoy dominating the Garden with all our fans for these last three years, like, it's probably better for the league if there's some St. John's fans in there, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, they they've owned the garden historically. Those oh, old yeah. Big East tournaments back in the day, they would travel down and fill yeah. the place and and make it loud. Plenty and, of recyclables on Amtrak. Uh, <laughs> from, uh, from the you know, it, it's you know, it's it's really funny. You think about that now. UConn joins that group of programs have had three coaches win national titles with Dan Hurley doing it. And while I, I do agree, I would take Patino no matter what. I think it's a uh, pretty easy thing to say that Jim Calhoun is as good or maybe the best program builder in the history of the sport because UConn wasn't anything. Now they're this self-perpetuating juggernaut that he's built. And I think one of the things that, that struck me, Pete, about putting the championship in context for them is with five titles, they now have as many as Duke and Indiana. The only programs that have more than uh, Connecticut are UCLA, um, Kentucky, and North Carolina. And it's obvious who I left off that list. Kansas. They have more championships in Kansas. And I brought this up several times on SportsCenter in our postgame coverage, and I felt sort of bad. I felt as if I were picking on Kansas. It's not saying Kansas isn't great. I mean, they're the winningest program ever. That's the other thing that's interesting. Uh, you know, we had a little discrepancy on exactly where UConn falls, probably because of some NCAA stuff on the all-time wins list. But Kansas, uh, Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, not in that order, but Kansas, Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, I think in that order, top the wins list, top four. And they're also mm-hmm. in that group of champions with Kansas with four. UConn, depending on exactly where Gil Bransford and I, our researcher, got down, they're like in the high 20s, low 30s 
on the wow. all-time win, wins list. You know, they're around, they're behind programs like, uh, on w- one of the lists I saw on Sports Reference, they're behind like Oregon State and Bradley. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, in terms of number of wins. Bradley must have crushed it in the 50s, man. <laughs> yeah, they but they've got but five titles, remarkable, all of them coming since 1999. And, you know, Duke's, all of Duke's titles came since 91. You know, so, uh, you know, it's really only, you know, only Kansas, Carolina, UCLA um, that, you know, have the old school titles. And I, I brought up today, they, you know, we had some fun and I put together the 10 greatest shots in tournament history and left out one big one. And it was, it was pointed out on Twitter. But um, the, what'd you leave out? Well, I left out the Chalmers shot. That was, that was, that was, pure um, I, yeah. I, it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't, it, would have been somewhere between you know six and ten anyway, mm-hmm. but uh, but one that I did have in there was Tyus Edney's shot in '95 to beat Missouri in the round of 32. And one of the reasons I put it in there, not only because it was a great moment, but the historical context of it is you're already approaching 30 years since UCLA last won a title, and had Edney not hit that shot, you would be approaching. 50 years with no title. Wow. So you look at that and then you look at UConn and what it has been able to accomplish in the last 25 years. And, you know, I think this, I I think it's pretty definitive that you have to, you have to acknowledge it's obvious that, you know, they're, they're the bluest of bloods in the last quarter century. Uh, No, nobody's blood has been bluer than them, even with that little, um, sojourn into the American wilderness there for a little while. That and they won a title in the old AAC, you know? Well, you know, it was funny because I, I told Seth, and I wasn't trying to pick on Seth Greenberg, but he said something about, about that in the American. And I said, you know, it's not the American's fault because there are good, good basketball programs yeah. in the American, very good ones. It was UConn's fault for chasing football. I said it was you know, that it was their fault. It wasn't the American, it was nothing wrong with the American product. It was just that their fan base and people, that's not what they wanted. You know, they yes. want to play, want to play St. John's, they want to play Villanova, they want to play Georgetown. And because that's where, that's where they're, that's their DNA, man. And now they're, and now they're back to it and top 10 recruiting class, maybe higher than that coming in. Guys coming back, um, you know, they're, they're a juggernaut right now. Yeah. So I, uh- I don't think I've told this story on the podcast. About five years ago, in February, UConn was pretty good, and I went to a UConn-Houston game. So I drove from Boston down to Hartford. It was you know, a pretty big regular season game. It's kind of that post-football time when I start to engage more, and I spent part of the morning of the game uh, with Telvin Sampson at the, uh, at the Houston Hotel, and then went over and covered the game that night. And Reese, let me tell you, that game – it was two really good teams, and that game had no juice. I mean, it was no juice in the XL Center, Hartford Civic Center, uh, whatever you want to call it. And I really think that, to me, like, I was just, you know, I remember, you know, in college going to, you know, going to cover Syracuse games at UConn. I remember working early in my career at the New York Times. You know, big games at UConn mattered. And like when you don't have that geographical resonance, we've talked about the cubicle factor on this podcast many times. If you work in Aetna in downtown Hartford, I'm sure you know people who work at Aetna in downtown Hartford, the people in their cubicles, you know, that they go see on their, you know, to get on their coffee break do not work at Tulsa. You did not go to Tulsa, Tulane, or Memphis. All right. And there's a pretty good chance there's some 
obnoxious Syracuse fan. You know, there's a pretty good chance there's a dude from St. John's. There's definitely some guy from Providence who wants to go have seven Bud Lights before the uh, before the game at the Civic Center every year. But there's not that, you know, that you need that feeling of familiarity. And when UConn lost that, basketball lost some of its luster. And, you know, the villain, you know, there's plenty of Villanova grads living in, living in New England, plenty of St. John's grads. So all of a sudden, you bring back some of that intimacy, some of that familiarity. You know, your father grew up watching, you know, UConn play his team. So I really think UConn's reconnection to that. And Hurley was like, if we were in the American, we'd be here anyway. I don't believe that at all. I just don't. Yeah, um, I'm not sure he would have had, I'm not sure he would have had the same, uh, same team. Uh, because yeah. just take uh, Tristan Newton had a great championship game, right? Mm -hmm. He moved over, kind of became a point guard for him. It's more of a scorer at East Carolina. You know, does does he make that move to UConn? They're still in the still in the American. Maybe not. If he had those same guys, I, I know what, I know what Dan's saying, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think everything has elevated from that, and I, I'm sure there are going to be some listeners going, "Hey guys, slow your roll here." I mean, they didn't even beat a top two seat in ripping through this tournament. They're only the they're only the third champion ever to do that. But there was there was something there was something about about this team when it was clicking, um, you know, early in the season and late. They just had they just had so many different ways to beat you. They could beat you in a San Diego State type game. They can beat you fast. Uh, you know, like uh, if you want to play like Gonzaga plays, they can beat you that way. You know, they played Alabama early in the year. They beat you the way Alabama plays. Uh, you know, they they just they could adapt. They had a lot of different ways to win. Would have loved to see them play healthy UCLA. Fair enough. I think that might have been one of the, the best matchups of the tournament. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, usually they didn't win. So I'm not saying, you know, but I just think healthy UCLA, old experienced big strong that 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 could have been a titanic matchup that would have been like that could have been an all-time elite eight game now look obviously uh the shots were hit by Gonzaga you know the, the, they hit their moon shots so god, god bless them but uh that would have been uh that would have been a lot of fun uh kind of the, the collisions of the coast yeah and, you know look I'm not I don't think it's any secret I have great respect for San Diego State and no the fact that they they fight, they're resilient, they're tough. Uh, Brian Dutcher is, you know, a terrific coach, good guy. Steve Fisher's as nice a guy as you'll meet. The you know the guy who laid the foundation uh, for the, this renaissance and building of San Diego State. I don't love the way they play. Uh, they're you know they're not aesthetically pleasing. I prefer teams that make a bunch of shots, uh, and they they just can't do that. But and they. You know, they still found, but it was to their credit that they found a way to win. I think one of the one of the stats we worked on, CBS put up a graphic that said there have been four stretches of at least three minutes in the game in which San Diego State didn't make a field goal. Now, one of those stretches was 11 minutes with no field goals. You know, they scored yeah. a couple, made a few free throws. Not not a lot, but they they made a few. So we added up the field goal less droughts. And San Diego State went over half of the game, more than 20 minutes of gameplay with no baskets, no field goals. And, you know, you may be able to fight and scraw, you know, claw and drag teams into the mud 
like you know San Diego State, and Tennessee, like to do, and and a few others. Virginia, I guess, was successful with it, though that team was a little better offensively than it gets credit for. I don't think you're going to win national championships that way, Pete. And yeah. I, I think the game needs to move a little bit. Basketball, in my judgment, is an offensive game with a defensive component. Um, kids don't go out in the driveway and practice defensive slides and get and getting into position to let the lawnmower run over them to practice their charges, the taking charges. They go shoot. Don't let Kelvin Sampson hear you from his Houston home. Well, I don't care. Kelvin puts a, you know, puts a lid on the basket. I'm like, well, you know, playing bad offense does that figuratively. Why do you do that? Put that bubble on it for the rebound deal. But, uh, you know, I think, and, and you know what? I think Kelvin has actually evolved a little bit offensively from his time in the NBA. I agree. No, I agree. A little, yeah, a little more, you know, a little more open uh, offense. We had some good offensive players this year, too. I know they play slow and all of that, but um, I, I don't – I think it's pretty remarkable that San Diego State got to the point that it did. Now they're they were good, they're really good, but they need they needed a little more offensive juice, and maybe that's the next step for you know for they've got a lot of old guys are probably going to have to retool a pretty good bit, but you know that'll probably be the next step to add a little more uh, offensive juice to it, and especially if they you know if they do end up changing league affiliations at some point in the not too distant future. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So here's a question, Reese. Uh, we're obviously, you know, in a historic moment, I feel like, in women's college basketball mm-hmm. this weekend. The sport is buzzing and soaring. And Caitlin Clark and Kim Mulkey are, you know, have been more of the talk of America, I feel like, this weekend than Jordan Hawkins and Dan Hurley, uh, for, right. for, for that matter. What can the men's game learn from this run of really elite women's basketball play? I think um, I think several things. One, I think there is a, a game wasn't really well officiated between LSU and Iowa. I think everybody's you know reacted to that, but uh, it's more in most cases there's a little more emphasis on offense. I think the quarters um, reset the fouls that way it keeps you off the free throw line more and out playing a little bit more. Um, I think um, I think those are the main things they can learn directly from the women's game, and I I couldn't help but think, Pete, as you you know as you and I talked a little bit about the um, with the whole kerfuffle over you can't see me and you know Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark, which the reaction to it, you know, I mean, just whatever. I mean, you know, people were trash talking. Relax. But the one thing I did think about with this is. That had a little bit of an NBA feud feel to it, you know, like like when you get stars who, you know, maybe don't really like each other that much. And it kinda, it's OK. Yeah, it kind of creates a little tension, a little drama, a little something to watch, want to see them go at each other again. And we didn't really have that in the men's game, you know, 
this year. And, and you know, that I, I don't know. I don't think you can manufacture that and say, hey, that's a goal of ours. But I do think it's something that, that the women's game can kind of capture, especially with people coming back, you know, to, and, and maybe the season long collision course, you know, headed toward that moment in the tournament. It's something that they can really capitalize and build on. Yeah, so I had an interesting conversation with Val Ackerman, the Big East Commissioner, uh, on the on the off day here, and she obviously was the founding president of the WNBA. Um, no, you know, obviously Hall of Fame player. You know, the whole the whole thing. Nobody knows the women's game better than than Val Ackerman, and she obviously presides over, you know, arguably one of the you know best uh, men's leagues in the country too. So, um, and she made a great point because I think the Ionescu season of twenty that obviously she didn't get to play in the tournament because of mm-hmm. COVID, we started to see this. Like Sabrina was a bigger star than anyone in the men's mm-hmm. game that, that season. And what Val said, and I thought it was a really compelling point, was that there's a synergy right now between women's college basketball and the WNBA that is not as distinct in the men's game. Because you have guys coming in from overtime elite. You, have, you know, there's a Brandon Miller here and there, but he's only going to be for one year. Yeah. The multiple year stars who go on to the NBA just don't exist anymore. And so, look, people want to get to know, you know, people got to know Caitlin Clark in this tournament. They're going to watch her if, you know, say there's some game and there should be a game. If UConn and Iowa don't play in November in women's college basketball, it's a tragic mistake. Mm-hmm. Like somebody is making a giant mistake. Put that game in Chicago, put it in the garden, put it in Memphis. I don't care. But that game should be played. Like you, you are doing the sport a disservice if you don't play that game. But the the, the point is you get to you you get to know the stars of the sport a little bit. They're not, you know, again, the portal exists and I'm not I'm not naive, but they're not just going somewhere, bouncing around, leaving, coming back. There are it is much the same synergy that we had. 20 years ago in the, in the men's game before one and done really got popular. So I just kind of, I just hadn't thought about it that way. And I was like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. People like rooting for the same people on their team. People like watching them grow up. They want watching them get better. Um, Paige Beckers will, will also be a case for that. Um, if she comes back off this ACL surgery this year, um, she had an unbelievable freshman year, was national play of the year, was injured as a sophomore, didn't play as a junior. Um, so I really feel like that just there's some element of familiarity and intimacy that is missing from men's college basketball right now that I can't I don't know quite how you recapture it under these under these current rules and circumstances. I, I do think though the NIL actually gives you a chance to do that because I agree. you've got Armando Baycott, you know, who's gonna make another run, RJ Davis mm-hmm. making another run at Carolina. Um, Edie and Shibway this year. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I think both of them can come back, including Shibway. I know, I know Edie can. I don't know if he will, but I think Oscar has another year too. I mean, if our listeners will hit us on that, if he doesn't, but I think he does if he wants it. And, um, you know, I think everybody's got an extra year. Yeah, with, with I just I spent my afternoon with JT Daniels, who actually in his sixth year has another year because of an ACL. So oh, everybody's wow. got an extra year. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm he all, could. He'd have to petition for it. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I I, I'm all I'm all for guys getting it if if they want it. But I think there's the opportunity there. But there's like I know that there are transfers in women's basketball, obviously. But I, I think what you pointed out earlier is that they stay around. Now, we have guys, that, and this is the problem, and I think it's a little more perplexing to solve in the men's game. You have guys who had significant roles on good teams who went in the portal. 
Um, you know, they're over a thousand and, you know, you sort of scratch your head. Now I understand Max Aismas from Oral Roberts went in the portal. I actually understand that. I mean, he scored a bunch sure. of points there. He's done a great uh, thing for them there. He's a little yeah. bit undersized. They should build a statue of him. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Build a statue, pat him on the back and wherever he winds up going, um, you know, maybe he gets a chance to make more NIL money. Maybe he shows a little, I know scouts see guys at all levels of schools and they can end up, you know, going pro out of anywhere, but maybe he proves a little something playing different competition night in, night out that, that helps him out. And if nothing else, he'll probably make a lot of money in NIL someplace because he's really fun to watch. He's a good player, but you know, guys that already have a really good role at a, you know, at a, Strong school, school winning school. It, guys off Elite Eight and Sweet 16 teams who are playing and shooting, you're getting shots and they're in the portal. I'm okay with it. I, it's their right. But if we're looking for some of that continuity that you're talking about, that Val Ackerman was saying they enjoy in the women's game, that might be as perplexing a problem to solve as any, any of the other things. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, and I think the culture of the sport became if you're an elite player, and you stay for more than a year, you're a failure. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like in college football. These five-star guys plan to be three and done. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the dudes make their announcements. Right? Like, I'm going to spend the next three years yeah. at Georgia. It's like, all right, yeah. you know, you let it rip, man. Um, you, uh, you, you go, uh, you go ahead. But I, I do think it is uh, just when you think of uh, Chris Budden and I were talking about this tonight, walking out of the arena, like. You know, she's obviously Big 12-centric, uh, does a great job doing sideline for that league. And she's like, we would do Trey Young trackers, like when we weren't even doing Trey Young's game. Mm-hmm. The sport didn't have that guy this year, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, you, th- maybe you think differently. Yeah. You know, Zion's sh- shoe blowing up was like the biggest regular season moment in college basketball the last 10 years. Um, they're just, there isn't that com- like big, big, compelling, magnetic character um, they're very good players. Jackie's a great player, right? You know, interesting player. But in terms of the, the ones that transcend, transcend into pop culture, transcend up, that just the, the sport hasn't uh, hasn't had as many of them. And it, what it does is it keeps very good familiar players around longer, which I think is great, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of in this it's sort of in this in this weird moment now, and and I think that's why the familiarity is why the women's game is getting some momentum. And you have a juggernaut to shoot for. You did with South Carolina. And people, you know, South Carolina in the women's game had become what UConn used to be in the women's game. And not that they aren't good anymore, but they were the team that you either love to watch win or love to watch and hope that they lost. And South Carolina became that, you know, through its excellence. That's what happens to uh, to great teams. You know, we've seen it with Alabama in football. And if Georgia keeps this up, they'll be, they'll be the team that everybody either wants to watch win or watch no matter who they play and hope that they lose. So it's, you know, that's, it's like in, in your neck of the woods, it's like rooting against the Yankees, you know, <laughs> back, back before you guys in Boston started winning world series too. Uh, you probably were just as happy to see the Yankees lose as, as anything else you need. You need- oh, that hasn't faded. That <laughs> hasn't faded with all the championships. Yeah. You, uh- you hear me, Sarah? Sarah Abbott, our producer, yeah, she, wore a Yankees hat on the show. I saw that well, it really upset you too. Yeah, I was not. I was, I was just. I was generally displeased. Yeah. That, so, but you know, I still have friends who group text happy Happy Yankee Elimination Day <laughs> when they get eliminated from the, <laughs> the playoffs. It's a good day. But you you need that. 
it, that's part of yeah. that you need the you need the stars. Some of that is just good fortune. And there there are some guys who are great players. At whatever reason, they don't captivate people the way other players do. It, it can be style. It can be performance. I mean, uh, like Billis was talking about um, when he was an assistant, graduate assistant with those great Duke teams in the early nineties, ninety one, ninety two, and how. You know, it was hard to get in and out of an arena, but they went down to play LSU and Shaq, and, you know, they were just, uh, uh, you know, people everywhere. And, you know, and Christian Leitner was uh, heartthrob, and he said everybody on the team thought that uh, that all of the girls from colleges were turning out to see all of them. Turns out they were just there to see Leitner. But, you know, <laughs> if Leitner bolted, so did they. But, you know, even though Christian was an unbelievable player, a great player, for whatever reason, he struck a chord with people. People either loved him or hated him. Yeah. They went, they went one way or the other on him. And sometimes players don't do that. And maybe that's a little bit of what the women's games captured with uh, the whole yeah. Caitlin Clark yeah. thing and the and the feud with LSU and LSU winning it, and you know, and, and South Carolina being toppled. They, in addition to excellent basketball. They've got a lot of stories too, you yeah. know, and that's and that's something that I think's been a, a little harder to discover in the men's game at times. Yeah, no, I would uh, I would agree with that. Uh, there was sort of a discussion point uh, Mike DeCourcy brought up on Twitter the other day because you go to these title games and Chris Budden made this point uh, similar driving back uh, driving out of the arena today. She said, you know, the off days on these everybody talks about everything that's wrong nil. How do you fix it? Da, 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 da. And uh, it's, there's two ways to look at it. Of course, she is. Why are we trying to fix this game? It's very good. But like, I do think there is some sense of there was probably no singular player who was completely compelling to write from either of these title teams. I, I mean, I, that may sound terse, but there certainly wasn't a demand from my editors, nor did I see a lot of people from other places really. Um, now, obviously, Lamont Butler had a great story and he had the shot and you know, we, we wrote about him. But there just isn't that same level of, 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 especially just reflect back on last year when you think of the star power in the final four. So what do you do? You reflect to what's relevant, what's newsy, what people are talking about. Um, you know, like Kirk Bowles from the Austin paper asked uh, early tonight after the game, you know, hey, the, this, you know, you lost five to six and there are no one, two, what does it mean for the game? Like, I just think people are constantly analyzing the game and where it goes in college basketball. It's changed so drastically and so quickly um that there is sort of a constant point of uh you know there's just a constant analysis of it i think that i really do believe pete that if they do things to improve the offense that that will change because billis makes a point all the time that the players themselves are more skilled than ever and you know if you, if you do things that are conducive to offense then the numbers are going to go up people are going to be a little more captivated and it's going to be a purer form of basketball you know, to me anyway. But but that doesn't yeah. mean when you look for ways to improve, it doesn't mean that what we have is not great. And the tournament is yes. fascinating and compelling and it's validating. It validated. Dan Hurley was validated tonight as a head coach. Now, he was a good coach before. He'd won a lot everywhere he had been. But when you win a championship, it's like it's like you are admitted into a, a certain fraternity that that elevates you above all others. So let's let's close out on this. When you think back on this season, this tournament, what will be the compelling, uh, what will be the most memorable thing, the 
the signature moment or the signature theme? Well, of today, it will be Rice Spring Practice 10 that I got to witness, uh, you know, around four. I had to leave a little early uh, before all the team drills, make sure I got over to the arena. Uh, for this tournament, um, you know, I think like the moment we'll see on lists for, for, for years to come is obviously that Lamont Butler shot. Just the, I'm thinking he's in no man's land. He pulls through and pulls up and the shot goes swish and the arena goes wild. Like that was just a, you know, I think that for, for, for me being in Louisville for the, for the sweet 16 and then here that that's going to be the, the singular, uh, the, the singular moment. And, uh, I do a pretty good Danny Hurley uh, impression. So I'm happy that that's going to get a little more mileage. Um, as we kind of go out in the season and, uh, you know, I'm from Jersey city and, you know, uh, <laughs> these guys like Pete Dammel used to write that I couldn't win championships and now I did. And so I'm under my dad's shadow. So I'm happy selfishly. I don't do many good impressions. You know, that I'm <laughs> not particularly funny. So I at least can get a little mileage out of my, uh, out of my coach Hurley, uh, Hurley impression, but no, it was nice to see him win. That's a compelling family. Have you read Woj's book, Miracle St. Anthony? No, I haven't. Okay. It's an excellent book. And I'm not just saying that because Woj is our colleague and our friend. Uh, he followed Bob for a year at St. Anthony. Uh, the school since closed. Uh, it's like 17, 18 years ago. He did it, but uh, it's a book that I would highly recommend. It stands the test of time. And it really just is a, uh, is a deep dive into the soul of that basketball family. And it's uh, it you you understand the Hurley so much better. Uh, you, you feel like you're in the White Eagle Bingo Hall there, where they uh, where where they came up. So they're a consummate basketball family. Happy for uh, Danny, who I've known for a long time. That you know he gets he gets this moment. He's obviously had to chase some pretty big ghosts yeah. in that family with his dad as a Hall of High School coach. Brothers, you know, one of the great college basketball players of the last uh, forty years or, or or whatever it is. So I, I think those are. Those are two things. And look, man, like for all the problems in the squabbling, man, this, this tournament was a heck of a lot of fun. It was, you know, uh, FDU and Tobin Anderson are going to, are going to carry on for a long time from this tournament. Um, yeah, there were some great games, great finishes, great moments. Um, yeah, no matter how much the adults try to screw up college basketball, the players make it great. <laughs> they find, they find a way to deliver. And Dan, yeah, what about you, Reese? It'll be, it'll be their, return of UConn to the top. Yeah. I mean, if I had to pick one thing, um, it'll, it'll be that. It'll be, you know, a guy coming out of a shadow who has a story like, like Dan of, you know, almost deciding he doesn't want to be part of basketball anymore. The quirks, the eccentricities of a guy, a self-aware guy. Um, you know, it's too much about the coaches, but, you know, he, he I know he struggles with that a lot, but he, He's one of the few guys who knows he struggles with it. So at least he, he's attempting, uh, you know, the, you know, finding out that he wears the lucky underwear, the dragon underwear, which the dragon underwear, he reminded me yesterday, not undefeated, just had the best record. And now they have a championship. And I guess you've gone back to breathing fire. So uh, I will say this, and this is somewhat, this is somewhat, uh, I'm not trying to be snarky because we both love both sports, but welcome back to football season, Pete. <laughs> Hey man, it was good to uh, it was good to catch a little rice uh, rice spring ball. They open uh, they open at Texas opening weekend. It will be the third time JT Daniels has played at Texas in his career and with his third different team. That is, if that doesn't epitomize 
modern college sports. I don't know yes. what else does it. Both sports are changing. They're changing fast. And uh, yeah, hail to the vagabond. There, there you go. And that, that's, a way to, that's a way to sign it off. Until next time, thanks for listening uh, to the College Game Day podcast. Thanks to uh, Taylor and Sarah for staying up late and letting us knock out one after the national championship. The Huskies champions again. Download this podcast wherever it is that you like to listen to College Game Day. <laughs>